This is Purple Elephant, where I bring the proverbial elephant to the table in order to deconstruct ableism, prejudice and misconceptions. On today's episode, we have Hannah Deakin. She is a disability activist, blogger and currently studying for her diploma in the NCTJ Foundation in Journalism course. We talk all about complex regional pain syndrome, how that's affected Hannah's life and the importance of disability community. I think you're going to like this. Yeah, sometimes people don't get the term, the fact that I was completely confined to my bed, I couldn't get out at all. Although I wasn't strapped to it, you know, mummified, like people have this impression that I can wheelchair. I, there was, I didn't get out for a shower, I couldn't get out at all. I was completely full, so I had a shower in my bed, and I was in my bed. So otherwise people kind of think, oh, you just spend most of the day in bed. It's like, no, I never got out. I couldn't get out. I was... Welcome to Purple Elephant, Hannah. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. For those that don't know you, would you mind introducing yourself, please? Hi, I'm Hannah Deakin. Currently, I'm doing some part-time studying with Ability Today. I'm studying the Certificate Foundation in Journalism via Zoom, which I'm really enjoying. Before the COVID lockdown, I was doing um, some work experience in the accountancy department at a fairly local company for four hours, one day a week, which I was really enjoying. I was hoping to get uh, six months work experience to then uh, become a member of the AAT, which is so a member of the Association of Accounting Technicians, because I finished my AAT level four professional diploma in accounting last year. And then I just needed the work experience to become qualified. That's really interesting. What is it about accountancy that sparked your interest? I quite like maths and numbers. I struggle more with English. So I struggle a bit with when I'm writing my blog, I think, is that technically correct with like punctuation and spelling and things? But so I'm more of a mathsy person. I was also thinking about because I don't know how things are going to develop or change with my mobility and my health, whether once I had my accounting qualifications, either in the future or during the future, that maybe it could be an option that I could work from home and do a few hours from home. So I was thinking about how it could be like an accessible job. Also, my mum's an accountant, so maybe that had, had a little bit of influence through there. And this is just my perceptions that COVID has opened some doors to people appreciating that flexible working is a thing. Do you, do you have any opinions on that? Yeah, definitely, actually. Recently, I wrote a blog post for Scope about positives from the pandemic, because I really think, although it has been a terrible virus and is a terrible period, um, and it's affected so many people's lives, and I, I want to acknowledge that because it has been awful, there has been some positives out of the pandemic, including employees becoming more aware of opportunities and how they can make their work more inclusive and actually how, because they've kind of been forced into doing it and actually like lockdown's coming, you've got your employees have got to work from home if possible. Then I think it's then, I hope it will then make them think, oh, well, actually it wasn't that bad. Before we didn't have to do it, it would have been an adjustment to support disabled people, which they probably is extra work they didn't want to do, but they actually had to do it. They've had to develop the software, change things or give people the equipment at home. And actually, hopefully they found out that it 
it has been successful and maybe they don't need to spend kind of vast amounts of money renting property or, or like business units in like prime land in central London, which actually could save companies an awful lot of money, or even if they had a smaller kind of premises. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the fact that it, they can be inc- inclusive, they'll have the calibre and the number of staff that they would open up to would be they'd actually get more choice so they which is a good thing for them hope that it's also made people in general actually see some of the struggles that disabled people go through on a daily basis because they've they've not been either able to go out at all or maybe on a reduced amount it's given them more of an insight to what many disabled people go through i think although i'm not saying every disabled person is housebound and can't go out at all but i think most disabled people have had a period during their disability or their illness that they've not been able to go out or they've been able to go out less and i think because of that actually we're almost the experts and actually probably coped with lockdown better because we're used to it in a way absolutely actually people should have actually come and asked i'm surprised like on the news and things they haven't actually asked people who are chronically ill or disabled for their advice like what tips can you give people that are not used to this because you're the experts in sort of this area how these people you know they're not coping how how can can you help them kind of thing i think it would have been a way that which i'm sure many chronically ill disabled people would have been happy to support and share their ideas yeah i also think that if they came to us for this support and advice they should pay us like they would pay everyone else and yeah. I think that again is what I guess the government and society are lacking in mm-hmm. the bigger picture of seeing a disabled person's worth as their disability rather than what they can bring to the table and what they can offer a business and a disabled person especially we think outside the box we have to be creative we have to jump these hurdles and come out of these obstacles in different ways to maybe an able-bodied or non-disabled person so when it comes to applying for jobs we're not going to apply for a job that we're not qualified to do Mm -hmm. so we should then have the opportunity to to work from home and have these flexible working uh, stations even if that means for your own mental health once a week you go into the office because that helps you that's great But having the option of working yeah. from home, not just because lockdown is happening, they actually see the benefit of a collective society. I think that's really powerful. I really agree with you. Disabled people should be recognised. And like if you want somebody to give a talk or to write something for you, like I think it's different if it's a charity or, or organisation, but in general, they are you know, their time is valuable too. So you shouldn't just think, oh, that they are, oh, they'll do that for free or not, or not even expect to suggest, um, how can I reimburse you or support you in some way? And I think definitely in terms of what you were saying about the applying for jobs and things, I think actually, like you say, disabled people, I think we're great and great employees because we have to adapt all our life. We have constant hurdles and like for us to achieve 
A, for an able-bodied person to achieve A, it maybe takes like an hour's like work, but for a disabled person or to achieve A, it could take like five times as long, but we get there or, or we work out a way to how to adapt and how to succeed. And we, and generally, I think also to say we were very determined and very, you've got that fighting spirit because they've had to, otherwise they just don't get anywhere because there are so many battles, whether it's trying to get the equipment that you need and like through social services, whether it's trying to just move forward, trying to get a job and obstacles um, surrounding, you know, people, are they going to be discriminative to, to disabled people? We have to just adjust and adapt and, and so I think that does make us great employees. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. And as this is a podcast and people can't see either of us, would you mind explaining to the audience what your disability is, please? Yeah, no, sure. So um, I've got an illness called complex regional pain syndrome. So I'm a power chair user. I had an injury when I was 14 um, playing netball and I damaged um, my foot and ankle. And from that, I had internal damage and nerve damage. And the, I had a surgery which sorted out the internal damage, but the nerve damage caused complex regional pain syndrome, which is an extremely painful and rare neurological condition that affects many systems in the body. Great Ormond Street said it's the most painful illness they treat and it's registered on the McGill Pain Ind Index as the most painful illness. It's higher than labor and everything else. Um, often it's caused by an injury. It can be a fairly minor injury. It affects the nerves, the circulation, bones, skin, and muscles. Symptoms include severe burning and stabbing pain. You can have hypersensitivity to painful and non-painful um, stimuli, spasms, um, reduced bone density or like osteoporosis, weakness, temperature change to the affected limb. CRPS can also spread from one area or the affected area to either, sometimes it's mirror image, so mine spread from my left, sorry, right, I was the medical professions always get the wrong leg and I'm now doing it. That's no good. <laughs> so I had my injury in my right foot and ankle and it spread up my right leg and then mirror image to my left leg. And it can spread like kind of up to see affect your arms and other parts of your body. But I'm lucky in the sense that it only affects my legs, but it can be very disabling. Me personally, so I suffer with severe pain and I suffer with um, spasms, I get quite tired, I have ended up with secondary complications, of, so with the spasms I had a contracture of my left leg and dystonia. I'm trying to think, I always, when I'm thinking about what I've had, I think, hang on a minute, have I said everything? <laughs> what else? So I had the complex regional pain syndrome, spasms, dystonia, I've got, I've got osteoporosis, um, I've also got hypermobility syndrome. I've been diagnosed with hypermobility syndrome. I suffered later on with a spiral fracture of my femur. So my femur broke into about five pieces, which was extremely painful. Oh, and then I had a major surgery to 
kind of put a metal plate in and lots of pins to try and hold it together, which was kind of quite difficult, I think, to actually get it to hold. And then more recently, I've had um, corrective surgery to try and put the, the leg wasn't, it was quite rotated inwards. So they, they rebroke it and I had a valgus osteotomy, which they rebreak it, they cut a bit of bone out. Initially, my leg only went to neutral, I had no outward rotation. And then they put new plate and metalwork in. So that was my kind of most recent surgery. So initially, after the complex regional pain syndrome at 14, I was on crutches, then I went into a wheelchair. And then about a year after the injury, I was bed bound. And then I was admitted to hospital for four years, which most of the four years I was um, totally bed bound. And then slowly, like with rehabilitation and physio, it was kind of trying to be hoisted into a power chair once a week when I could cope with sitting up to a certain degree. And then building up to then going in the chair every day. And then maybe I went on to using a slide board um, and just progressing very slowly after kind of really going downhill quite quickly in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then it's kind of along that as I've progressed, I've also ended up with some of those secondary illnesses that I was just talking about. But now I'm doing well. I've um, had quite a lot of, I've had some specialist drugs to rebuild my bones. And so now it's safe for me to stand in, this was in a, a kind of powered standing frame. I got to the point, this was kind of after years of physio and slowly progressing. So the powered standing frame would take me up into a standing position with kind of belts and um, straps. And then slowly it was trying to get my muscles to kind of work a bit more. And in about two years ago, I took my first step in about 12 or 13 and a half years, which was quite incredible. That is incredible. Wow. And it's just trying to kind of build a little bit more and progress forward a little bit more. Like I've got specialist Sappho splints that hold my feet in the correct way. And I've got um, a specialist like walker and things, but just... It's a long process. <laughs> Do you feel that your your life since your injury has been all about rehabilitation to get you to walk again? Or do you feel that that is just part of your journey? And the reason I ask this is because able-bodied people that don't know any disabled people feel that walking is the epitome of, of like coming out of a wheelchair. Even when Stephen Hawking's died, there was these memes saying that he was no longer wheelchair bound. And as someone that used to use a wheelchair, I don't agree with the term wheelchair bound anyway, because it gave no. freedom and independence. So do you feel that all, all the surgery, um, or spe specifically the rehabilitation and the physio, in order to get you to, to stand and and possibly take those steps is it worth it for you do you feel like you're doing it because you want to do it or do you feel that society's pressuring you to to almost become what they we see as normal in some respects like some people have given up on me and they'd have said they people told me i'd never walk again years ago and almost in the sense been oh there's no hope so we won't bother and i I think the term wheelchair bound, I agree with you. I don't, I don't like, I think wheelchair user is much better. I think we're not 
like strapped to our wheelchair. I still tend to use the term bed bound because although I wasn't bound to my bed, which you can argue then why would you use one and not the other? If I say I was, I suppose it's how could I say, I can't really say I'm a bed user. <laughs> that sounds a bit funny, but, but if I could, sometimes people don't get the term, the fact that I was completely confined to my bed. I couldn't get out at all. Although I wasn't strapped to it with, you know, mummified like people have this impression like in a wheelchair I there was I didn't get out for a shower I couldn't get out at all every night I was completely for those I had a shower in my bed I had a bed wash in my bed mm -hmm. so otherwise people kind of think oh you just spend most of the day in bed it's like no I never got out I couldn't get out I was but with um a wheelchair um I think for me coming from being if we call it totally bed bound for the moment mm -hmm. um but from coming from that position a wheelchair was like, wow, you know, I've been stuck in this bed for years. Mm. I'm now going to go outside. Yeah. I'm going to be able to, you know, go down the garden. I can get into a different room in the house or in the hospital. I can go out and get, you know, have a cup of tea and a piece of cake with my mum and dad and brother. And, and it's kind of like, you know, it was giving me freedom. And I always say society as you said, have got this view that a wheelchair is a bad thing and it's disabling. Mm -hmm. Actually, I've got a blog post that I wrote quite fairly early on, which is my wheelchair, is it disabling or enabling? And the end result is it's enabling because it's enabled me to go to my friends' weddings, to be a bridesmaid, to go out in the, in the world, to, to see the world, to live. Whereas I didn't feel in when I was in hospital and when I was quite, when I was bed bound, mm -hmm. that didn't really feel like living. It felt more like existing. Mm. Whereas since it's, you know, I've got to college, I've got to swimming. I've, okay, yes, there's things like going to hospital appointments that are not such fun, but yeah. it's got me there. I'm living. So yes, it's not perfect. And it's not because I have to, you know, my personal care and things takes quite a long time. And I have to do quite a lot of physio every day. So the amount that I want to do each day is not as much as I would like, but I'm still getting out there in the world. And without the wheelchair or the power chair, I couldn't do that. So definitely, I think for me, the wheelchair has been a good thing, but that I also may be slightly biased on that because I'd come from worse to going to better. If you know what I mean, like the bed, being bed bound to going to being a wheelchair user it was an improvement, yeah. if you can understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. But I think in general, even when I can take a few steps with my walker, I couldn't get out with it. You know, I get nowhere <laughs> because it, a, it's, it's, it's so painful and it takes so much time, so much energy, and I can only do it like a few steps. Although it's, it's good for me and my body and hopefully in the future I can do more and it will enable me to get outside and and see the world but with say a walker instead of a power chair or wheelchair at the moment i'm not at that stage so at the moment although it's good for me it's not giving me that life and also my wheelchair gives me my power chair gives me that independence because i can do it myself i can if i want to go down the first aisle of the shop i go down the first aisle of a shop whereas if i'm pushed mm -hmm. You know, I, if mum goes down the third aisle of the shop or my PA, I've got to go down the third aisle of the shop. Well, I might not want to go down the third aisle of the shop. I've got that ability to actually, no, I want to go this way or 
You've got your freedom back. Yes. So people have got this impression that you can't live in a wheelchair, which I think you can. It's different, but you can have a good life. I think in terms of walking, it's like personally, it's my a goal of mine to get to walking. I don't know how far I'll get if I'll get there. So it's something I want to do. I do feel like the rehabilitation has taken over a bit, but I think at the same time, how far I've come and the quality of life I have now from being, albeit not walking, but say in a power chair and having more mobility, mm-hmm. I've got better quality of life than if I hadn't have gone through that rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. And thank you so much for taking the time to explain that because because a lot of my audience are non-disabled, it's really mm. interesting for them to hear hear that explanation because I think as soon as people find out, wow, you've gone from being bedbound to in a chair, well, suddenly you must want to walk and that will be your goal for life. You have obviously worked your goddamn ass off to get where you are you have so much inner strength and power and like just courage to keep going especially Mm. because of the pain you must go through Mm -hmm. so it takes a very very strong individual to be able to do that the reason I asked is because I wanted to highlight that as you beautifully said it the wheelchair gives you your independence and your freedom And actually, you can live a very good life in a wheelchair. So although for you, being able to take those steps and maybe one day use your walker to go out and about rather than your power chair, that isn't consuming you to the point where you are focusing on only that and you are understanding the beauty of life and what it holds because you feel like the wheelchair is holding you back that's quite a powerful statement to make because most people just believe if you go from one stage, i.e. bed bound to then being able to use a wheelchair, then automatically you may want to start walking. But for most people, it's physically impossible. They cannot do it. And you've had to go through a lot of physical and mental energy and obviously surgeries to get where you are today. So I think that should be really commended of your strength and the power within you. But to remind people listening to this, this isn't everybody's end goal. Yeah, everybody is an individual. Everyone's unique. But I do think society, as you say, has got this impression that a wheelchair is a bad thing. You can live and gain freedom in a chair. You did a wonderful TED Talks on adjusting to life after disability. What do you think people's perceptions of that has been since you did the talk and, and just in your general life since you acquired your disability? I got lots of positive comments about um, the talk, which was good. And I hope that it makes people like value their life and see what is important. People don't really have an idea of what disabled people face. I think if you have a relative or a friend, it helps give you some insight and understanding. But I don't think people understand the spectrum of disability. It is so varied. People just have one size fits all approach. Sometimes I, th- I feel people think of disabled people as either like an inspirational Paralympian or a benefit scrounge. There is so many in between And the vast majority 
are on benefits because they need to be and are entitled to be. And there is just in the middle of that, that, you know, we've got scientists, we've got doctors, we've got um, both academic and medical, we've got accountants, we've got teachers. There's such a big range, but people have got that very much image. Oh, you're either that or you're that. Not, and not actually, there is, there is so many people in the middle. So 4% of the world's population who are wheelchair users, not every one of them is a wheelchair user full-time and there's only seven percent of the world who are visually impaired that use the mobility aid in the case of a cane or a guide dog more needs to be done it's quite shocking in some respects of like you think well hang on a minute we're in 2020 we're in the 21st century and like for example during the um daily briefings in the on the tv with the prime minister where was the british sign language interpreter oh gosh yeah Surely, if you want to make the world accessible, and it should be accessible, deaf people should be able to access the, the daily briefings. It's sad that we've had to campaign for that and things like talking about earlier in the coronavirus pandemic, there was some dispute about whether it was actually going to happen or not but when they were talking about not giving disabled people ventilators and things if there was the demand that like the intensive cares were at full capacity then kind of disabled people or people on a certain scale would not be eligible for getting one and it's it's then it's kind of saying well you're not valuing disabled people's lives and just sometimes some disabled people like it's not this simple but they they are not unwell in the sense that they're going to be less likely to survive the coronavirus apart from the fact that they have a mobility issue mm-hmm. some people yes and some people obviously it depends if they've got chronic illnesses and background but still everybody's life is valuable yeah and otherwise it's saying which you know your life is not as valuable as an able-bodied person mm-hmm. which i know they've got to draw the line somewhere and but it, it just seems quite harsh yeah i i feel i feel exactly what you're saying they they've got to draw the line somewhere but at the end of the day we're all we're all human and we all deserve to to keep living and i think for example if coronavirus didn't exist you wouldn't just mow that person down in a car and be like, well, you don't deserve to live anymore. It, so why, why is it that because they may need life-saving medical treatment that, that they think, well, you're already disabled, therefore you're going to be at bigger risk of being more ill or you will need mm-hmm. more treatment or you'll need more support afterwards. So no, sorry, you can go to the bottom of the queue. It just doesn't sit well with me. So the other day on the TV, it made me smile. There was um, Alex Brook, I think it was called Disability and Me. Mm-hmm. And he said, there needs to be some sort of disability uprising. He said, the trouble is most of us probably couldn't get there. <laughs> and it didn't make me smile. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> yeah. I put I, I I put a tweet on Twitter and I said I'm up for the uprising. <laughs> yeah. It did make me smile though because it is this the difficulty. But in normal terms, probably of some of the situations and things that people are experiencing and the battles that they're facing, 
there would be some sort of uprising but because we can't get there and people are not able to or well enough then there isn't so much if you know someone it really does help i think if you've not i suppose in a way if i think back to when i was 14 i didn't really know anybody who had a disability mm. and like i obviously used to seeing people around who maybe um visually impaired and had a white cane and or a guide dog or somebody who was in a wheelchair but i didn't know anyone really personally who had a disability mm -hmm. I assume their life was probably um, different and there was more challenges, uh, but I didn't really have any clue. And I almost feel like naive when I look back to actually think I had absolutely no idea. I, I couldn't have like contemplated at all some of like the battles, the hurdles that disabled people and chronically ill people face. Mm. But then I suppose, unless you've experienced something or you know someone very well, so you know some of the things they go through, can you expect someone to in a certain way? It's a bit of a catch-22, mm -hmm. you know, situation. Yeah, I agree with you. It is really a catch-22. Again, it almost comes down to the government and because we are taught by the government, our education system, mm. what, what we should be included. I went and did a talk at a local primary school all about guide dogs because they were, I think, five or six years old and they were learning about Louis Braille and the importance of Braille. And I think that's wonderful and fantastic. And children's minds are like sponges and yeah. they really did soak it up and they appreciated it. But I think we need to continue these discussions as children get older and then become teenagers. Instead of it being a topic you touch on once and that's it, it needs to, yeah. something that needs to be revisited and revisited to almost remind society that we are capable, we are worthy, and we absolutely deserve to be here just like everybody else. It's brilliant doing it with children because they're so open and they're so willing yeah. to learn and ask questions. But and non-judgmental. Yeah. Whereas I find the adults are like, they're the ones that will stare. Whereas child, if they stare, it's like, oh, why is she in a wheelchair, mummy? It's not like, they don't mean it in a nasty way. They yeah. mean it in a I don't, I've not seen one of those before or, or they're embarrassed the mothers and go, mummy, why could she get to sit down all day? <laughs> and they go, or they've not seen it. So they want to know. And children are inquisitive. So I'm an ambassador for White Lodge and I go around doing workshops and um, talks with White Lodge into schools and guides and brownies and different organisations. And exactly like what you were saying about the sense, it's good to get the children because they soak it up and they, they are interested and they listen and they accept you for who you are. And I think if children have that exposure, disabilities, but actually treat them with respect and appreciate them and you know, treat them as you would treat everybody else. Next time you see a disabled person, try and look beyond their disability. Mm. They are just like you, yeah. which I think is quite, powerful thing because we are the same we have the same ambitions we have the same dreams things we want to achieve and do yeah and we just have extra hurdles to get there so in a way it's more of a achievement once we do get there because the effort you have to put in to succeed is greater yeah absolutely i couldn't agree more i think that 
brings us nicely onto another question I had. What perceptions did you have of disabled people before your injury and then subsequent diagnosis? I think if I'd have had to, if I would have been more exposed to disabled people, knowing me, I think I'd have been quite inclusive and tried to include them because that's kind of the sort of person that I was like, oh, what can we do? And try and adapt things if it wasn't something they could do. But I didn't have a huge amount of kind of experience or really kind of, I don't really think I probably like you're saying with education and things learned to like I knew there were disability was something that existed but didn't really know anybody or kind of so I don't think a lot, I thought about it a lot mm -hmm. and again I think that goes back to as you said exposure and education because mm -hmm. we don't see especially us growing up in the 90s I didn't really see disabled children on telly uh disabled no. adults on telly and the few things that I ever did see were, I would say, misrepresented because when, again, I think this is probably more my adult brain seeping into what I thought back as a teenager, but most people on screen who were disabled were actually played by able-bodied actors. So you weren't even... Which is very irritating. Oh my God, that's another podcast episode, isn't it? <laughs> We aren't seeing ourselves truly represented because no. we're, we're allowing able-bodied actors to play. But what, why, why wasn't a disabled actor employed? Because yeah. they, they exist just like yeah. we everywhere. We exist in acting as well. It was just an interesting question for me because you acquired your disability as a teenager. Yeah. And so... Mm -hmm. I was like you. I remember I lived a few streets away from an older gentleman that had a guide dog and his name was Ray. And like, I'd always shout, hi, Ray, <laughs> every time we walked past. That was like that. And then there, was, there were older people, I guess, in wheelchairs. I, I was probably one of the few children in wheelchairs in my town because my town is quite small. But my mum my always taught me to accept difference. And I think that's what helped because my mum yeah. worked in a care home for many years. So she, she saw people who were very sprightly once upon a time who then needed mm -hmm. care and were getting older and then needed extra support. But their, you know, their, their mind was still ticking away. They were fierce. They were funny. They yeah. were <laughs> it's just yeah. that maybe their body just wasn't working as yeah. well. And so I was very lucky that I was brought up to accept difference quickly and I think that's what helps me I guess be more open-minded but that again goes back to education as well if if we we saw ourselves represented in 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 media and magazines and everything like that then I guess we wouldn't be having this conversation <laughs> no true and also it would help children if they saw it more regularly on tv programs and things am I correct there was there was a children's tv presenter i think who had one arm oh, okay or, not 100 percent sure but i think she was on like a children's tv program and the children were fine with it the parents didn't like it and thought it was say scary for the children so i think she actually might have got removed or sacked or something um but the children were you know fine because children were like oh mummy she's just got one arm part of one arm yeah. Hopefully getting those children, then when they become the problematic adults, <laughs> then <laughs> the problematic adults shouldn't be so problematic. And then they're accepting. So then when, say, their children see it on TV, they're accepting 
because they've all accepted it already. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of accepting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they need to do is accept. <laughs> what are your thoughts and opinions on, on disabled people and the public's perceptions of us? Do you think it's good, bad, different? Different people have different perceptions. I think if they've, if they know someone or got, have got that exposure, I think then they generally have better perceptions and are more inclusive because they have that understanding and that background kind of knowledge. Once when I went to a wedding, there was Kaylee dancing. So there was two lines of um, dancers in this particular dance. And the people on the left line had to go and dance with the person on the right, but they had to go with everybody all the way down. So you didn't necessarily know, they, they didn't know everyone. They were just dancing with the people that had decided to go and join in on the dance. And I was thinking, oh gosh, because I knew some people, but not everybody. And I was in my manual wheelchair and I was thinking, oh, I hope they know, like kind of do it gently or don't throw me too much. Because in the end, we were just going one way instead of two ways, because it just took too long with me going around in my wheelchair. And everybody was really good. And actually most people were quite careful, but then one person, and like, I could be wrong and they could have actually, it wasn't deliberate, but I felt like it was deliberate, just missed me out. So they went along the line and did the person before me and after me, but not me. They didn't know what to do or how to react, which in a way is, is not their fault. It could be like, oh gosh, I don't know what to do. So I'll just, it was an accident, and it, but it didn't. I'm not sure. I think it would have been a coincidence. <laughs> I, I, I believe that they did it deliberately because they didn't know what to do. But instead of yes. asking you and addressing you like a human being, they dismissed you and pretended you didn't exist. Yeah, maybe felt awkward. So thought, oh, I don't know what to do, so I'll just go on to the next person. Mm-hmm. But then for me, that kind of was upsetting, where I'd rather they, they just say, right, tell me what to do, you know, and I'd be like, oh, take this arm, push me with that, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, just instruct, even if it means that everyone else gets like slowed down, mm-hmm. I don't think in general people mind because they're just having fun and it doesn't have to be, you know, exact, you know, exactly to the T. Maybe that was also due to the fact that they didn't, hadn't had that exposure again we were talking about. Mm. So they were like, oh, this is an unknown scenario. What do I do? Yeah. But like you say, it would have been better if they'd have just kind of said, right, tell me what to do. Yeah, some people I think have got the kind of perception that disabled people are either old, they don't understand that there are younger disabled people that exist, like with disabled parking. Say mum's driving me, she gets out of the car, you see people look, and it's like, and then like you can see like they're about to say, well, she's not disabled. And it's like, and then they see me get out of the car, and then they're like, oh, right, okay. Because yeah. then they've seen my wheelchair. But it's like, you shouldn't have to actually see somebody's wheelchair say oh that's okay they're entitled to their blue badge parking space and like I had someone said to me which I think they meant in a nice way but I think many disabled people would take it in a negative way they said that I was oh I was too pretty to be in a wheelchair which it was nice they were complimenting me on my that I was pretty but at the same time disability doesn't go on looks and if I almost felt in the same way are you saying then if I wasn't pretty is it not a shame Mm. and it's again I suppose yes it's a shame I'm in a wheelchair but then you're you're also putting that as a negative thing that actually I'm not living 
And actually, I would prefer to obviously be able-bodied and do everything that I could do. But also, everybody is valuable, whether they're pretty or not. And, and disability doesn't say, oh, well, you're pretty, so I'll go for you, and you're not, so I'll leave you. It doesn't work like that. Because people see my wheelchair, and they're like, oh, that's okay. But sometimes I feel, if I got, which I hope very much that my mobility will improve more, that maybe I can, you know, not travel in a wheelchair accessible vehicle and maybe transfer onto a seat. And maybe if I could, if it was very short, use my walker, short distance, use my walker. Um, but I don't know. But I do think, oh, is it, I can imagine that that could be quite a difficult period if I got to that. Because with invisible disabilities, if I got, or even if I got to the point that I was a bit better than that, people are kind of like, oh, well, I can't see a mobility aid. So obviously there's, there's not, um, there isn't an issue, which I think people can be quite harsh on that and, and really be quite unkind to some people with notes and different things that they've experienced yeah. because of people sort of thinking that they have the right to kind of interfere with their life and I always think like I'm quite an upbeat and kind of positive and jolly person and I always like put my all into everything but then at the same time like thinking about the disability parking and invisible illnesses but also about uh, me then people don't see how you are afterwards and like you know the pain that you're in or the or the you know so many hours in bed or the exhaustion or the days to recover if you've like maybe overdone it but you've really wanted to kind of push yourself that because say it was a special day or something so you've stayed in your wheelchair longer than you normally could or and I think people can be quite judgmental of oh well I saw you doing that so you, you know you can do that and it's like well yeah I did that that day but you didn't see actually it took me a week to recover mm -hmm. because I was really pushing myself that day to achieve. Mm -hmm pointing back to the invisible disabilities 75 percent of the world who are registered with a disability they're actually registered with an invisible disability really? it's kind of interesting because arthritis for example is seen mm -hmm. as an invisible disability mm -hmm. but if you'd have seen me as a child my arthritis was so severe that when i walked i i i looked like a lady in her 80s my feet oh, my feet pointed out, I bent myself from the, the hips, so I was always bending forward. And I was essentially just dragging my feet. So people looked at me and stared and said, you know, what's wrong? And I think now as I've, I'm so very lucky that I'm on medication that supports me no longer walking A like that or B needing the use of a wheelchair, that as I was losing my vision i i fell into this really horrendous camp of feeling like an imposter in my my own body because i didn't want to look disabled because i spent all of my childhood looking disabled and being bullied for it and then having all these questions and then so for once i just wanted to feel like i was with everybody else i i was in the same camp i i could join in sports day or whatnot and do all those things but what then I guess going back to what you said what people then didn't realize and still don't to this day is that the more walking I do 
the longer it takes me to recover at home mm -hmm. and rest. And with my visual impairment, when it was at a stage where I was registered blind, but still had some residual vision, unlike mm -hmm. now, I would get constant eye migraines and my face would be sore and swollen sometimes too because of all the pressure I exerted in and expend energy just like you said people don't see the after effects of what it takes on a person's physical and mental health to recover mm -hmm. from exerting ourselves and I think it's really difficult as well because the blue badge is there as as an indication as a symbol I, I need to park closer to the shops but why I think the reason we we as a society get so judgmental is because again it goes back to exposure and education we're not taught that invisible the 75 percent of the world's disabilities are invisible and therefore mm -hmm. we're entitled to this badge but we actually don't owe you anything or an explanation to mm -hmm. show you that we're entitled to this badge but then i've also been in a situation where we've had people quite literally when i was younger pull into a disabled parking space and jump out with their kids and just yeah. run off. And I'm like, my my dad's furious, my mum was furious because... Yeah, my dad gets really annoyed with that. And I'm like, hang on, you don't know whether they've got an invisible disability. But sometimes I know what you mean, when they're like running off, you kind of think, mm. I don't think that's likely. Yeah, for example, I wrote a blog post, you're not disabled, but your parking clearly is. <laughs> and <laughs> that's a good title and it was because grant and i were heading to our local tesco's and there was a man sitting in his car parked over three disabled bays oh um, when people go and collect people and they just go i'll sit there i'm in the car so i don't need a yeah. badge because i don't have one but i'm yeah. sitting there to collect someone but he was parked over three disabled bays like oh, horizontally that's even more excessive. yeah and so Oh, I got so angry. I can't even see the dude, but I, you know, <laughs> I got so angry when Grant told me. And I was like, go and tell him to move. And he was like, no, I don't want confrontation. So we went in and told the security guard. He went out and told him to move and took down his number plate. But I just think that's disgusting because that's a very obvious sign that you are not disabled. Because mm. if you were disabled, you'd actually appreciate that one space is enough. So mm. you wouldn't be parking horizontally across three disabled bays and sitting there with your window up and your music blaring waiting <laughs> for someone to come and it just oh it made me so mad and I think sometimes that's why we get a bit precious when mm. we feel like it's okay to judge people that look able-bodied getting out of cars because mm. there are idiots like that, that that act like that and have no appreciation for the need of disabled parking yeah no definitely Hannah, you run a fabulous blog and this sounds like a bit of a bizarre question, but what is it that you hope to get out of your blog by being online? Is it more representation for disabled people, sharing your own personal journey, things like flexible working that we've been talking about today, or just, just an overall awareness? What, what made you start your blog? I think I'm definitely, I feel passionate about raising awareness and helping the able-bodied community or the non-disabled community to understand some of the challenges and, and battles that disabled people face. And also so that they've got more of that knowledge so that it's not like a, oh, what do we do in these situations? Or how to actually like tips and advice that can 
help them with more exposure and knowledge so that they have a better understanding. I also hope to support other people who got either chronically ill or disabled and to help them feel not so much like they're the only one or they're alone. Like I know everyone's experience is different and I'm not going to have an identical experience to, you know, even somebody else who's got exactly the same condition and exactly the same age and everything. But hopefully if they can maybe read something that gives them support and kind of hope, as we say in my blog, Hannah's Hope, <laughs> I hope to give hope to others to um, that they are not alone or they're not the only one in that situation, that they can feel like that in a positive way. Because I think there's something about you can, there are times when you can feel very alone or you're the only one going through something. And to know that somebody else actually feels the same way or actually has had the same difficulty, I personally find that supportive. And sometimes there's ideas or advice that I can give to others. I also find it quite therapeutic writing. Sometimes it's easier to write something down rather than actually express it in words. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, like good for me but also I feel like I'm making a difference and I feel passionate about making a difference and promoting equality and helping people understand more about disability and chronic illness. When you live with a disability you touched on it perfectly there you can feel so alone that you feel isolated that nobody else understands or knows what you're going through because most of us are surrounded by able-bodied non-disabled people that don't understand and I think having the having a blog, having a platform, but the beauty of the internet and connecting with people with things like chronic illness and other disabilities is is kind of how my own mental health has improved and how mm -hmm. my own acceptance of myself has improved. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I've been disabled longer than I've been non-disabled. I've always been the disabled person around non-disabled people. I've been the odd one out and having connections with people with similar disabilities or just disabilities that understand the frustrations, the barriers to access, the, the kind of ignorance that, that can go through people's brains when it comes out of their mouth and you just want to give them a slap. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to be able to share that with other people sometimes, I feel. And people that can actually relate to what you've gone through and go, oh, well, actually, I've experienced this and actually... I did this and this worked so do you want to try that and and just actually also first-hand experience like I've never been on a train as a, a power chair user but then maybe speaking to somebody else who's been on a train or reading a blog post about train experience and actually finding out how it works with I don't know how to how that will work so yes okay I could google it but it's not the same as actually speaking to somebody who's actually in person got a disability and experienced that and they can actually say well actually there's this that happens and that so actually I would recommend you arrive a little bit earlier or you know or x or y that actually that personal insight story and knowledge that southwest trains for example website's not going to have mm -hmm. yes absolutely I couldn't agree with you more and I think this is why blogging and community spirit especially within the disabled community has really lifted and become such a force of nature i i think because mm -hmm. we yeah. we're all in that same boat as we're in that generation we've got the beauty of google but 
we want to hear a real person's experience and that's what makes all the difference i remember when i lost my sight she's still one of my very good friends to this day i put in a, a local group for people living with sight loss and the charity were amazing supported me so very well but she was part of the Facebook group and i just said i'm, I'm recently blind um i i don't want this to stop me and she just became the person I went to for every question <laughs> because I, I was like, oh, so how, how did you do this? And how did you do that? I said, I know that you are probably exhausted of me asking all these questions. <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm not because I'm, it's nice to be able to support someone because I didn't have that support when yeah. I was going through it. And so, and now one of my very best friends, she and I connected actually via my blog and realized we didn't live so far away from each other. And, and now she and her husband and my husband Grant, the four of us are the best of friends. And I'm helping, or I was at least at the beginning, helping her on her sight loss journey. And it was nice to be able to give that support. And if I hadn't have had my blog, who mm -hmm. I'm not, not making myself a big I am, but it was nice to reciprocate, to be able to support mm -hmm. someone else because I'd mm -hmm. had so much support and advice and friendship and mm. solidarity of people that especially that one friend that really understood what I was going through so yeah, yeah. it's really really nice and I, I love I love the community for that especially no I think that's really important I think also like even just thinking about things like when you first got a disability it's like how do I access this or where do I go for that from like all different points of view so for you like with your sight loss what you were saying about having that personal connection or even like if you meet someone locally actually say oh by the way did you know there's this swimming group and or did you know that actually you could apply for personal independence payment and through personal independence payment you can get a motability card all these things you don't know yeah but actually and there almost needs to be a book but it would have to be updated so regularly because yeah. of all the changes but actually then you can support someone and make a big difference because like you say when I first became disabled there wasn't it was only it was through speaking to people we found out different groups or organizations but it was generally kind of through hard graft ourselves that we found it and actually it was like oh it would have been so nice did you know about this and and it makes such a difference because when you, you're kind of like new situation you know, and you're like have no idea what's going on and what you should be doing or what groups are available, organisations, or where you can get support. And it's like a minefield, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think you being 14 and me being seven, we didn't really have the beauty of the internet of what it is today. And, and what's available and what's come of the beauty of the internet. So Facebook groups and, and mm -hmm. Twitter groups and things like that, Twitter chats, those things didn't exist back then. Going back to your blog, you wrote a really lovely piece just recently about dating with a disability. And have you got any tips or tricks or advice? I've, I've not started the dating process yet. I was kind of like thinking about, like in that recent blog post, writing down kind of how I felt and kind of looking at it but I was thinking about maybe signing up to some dating sites and maybe taking it seriously. I've been given some great advice from others though. Some have like suggested about mentioning your disability after a few messages so then you're giving them the option to take it further or not but you're not having to say it like kind of immediately. Others 
have said maybe put two pictures maybe one picture where you can see you say in a wheelchair if that's your disability and one maybe where you're not um so it's not the key kind of focus mm -hmm. um and other people have sort of said well if they're the right person they won't care about your disability mm -hmm. and you'll have you're going to have some maybe remarks or comments beforehand that aren't great but if they're the right person they won't care whether you've got chronic illness or disability because they care about you mm -hmm. yeah I found them quite um, encouraging and even he hearing people's personal experiences of the fact that they'd met someone and and how they'd got on that really helped me because it, it is it's that personal experience again of actually the situation that they've gone through yeah and finding out actually they have met someone or now they've had children or what's happened i i've really absolutely loved chatting to you i think it's been really invaluable conversation i hope people have learned lots but before we we do check out is there anything else you'd like to chat about and would you like to share your blog and social media so people can find you out in the world yeah no thank you no i really enjoy chatting to you it's been it's been a really enjoyable afternoon thank you for having me okay. and um yes yeah, so I um, write a blog, Hannah's Hope, and my blog um, address is my name, hannahdeakin.blogspot.com. And I have a Facebook page at Hannah's Hope UK. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Hannah E. Deakin. So, yeah, it'd be great to see some new people. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm sure they will definitely follow you i'll leave all the information in the show notes below and your wonderful ted talk because that Thank was you. i'll leave that in the show notes below and make sure everyone goes and visits it but honestly it's been such an honor and a pleasure and we've we've gone around the houses a bit with different topics <laughs> but i think that's the beauty of a podcasting and, and b getting to know people and, and people getting to know you because you're not just one person you're multifaceted you've got got lots of things that you want to talk about and there's lots of things that I'm a, as a nosy person <laughs> I want to know about so yeah thank you so much I've, I've really enjoyed it oh thank you I have too thanks so much for listening to this episode of purple elephant complex regional pain syndrome and the importance of community as a disabled person with me your host sassy wyatt and today's lovely guest hannah deakin I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please go and find Hannah in the show notes and watch her fabulous TED talk. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to subscribe and share this with your friends and family. Until next time, I hope this episode has helped you to become a better human being.